Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Thank you, JB. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you. Christ is risen. Yes and amen. This is one of my favourite days of the year. Christmas, yeah, awesome, great. Jesus is a baby. Jesus raised to life, defeating death and sin once and for all. Man, this is, oh, this is the good news. All right, did I tell you to open your Bibles? All right. Uh, today we continue our, where did I tell you to open to? Well done. All right. Because... Uh, today is Resurrection Sunday. So if you weren't here on Good Friday, we went through the first 11 stations of the Stations of the Cross, but we didn't do station number 12, which is Jesus Rises. Early on the first day of the week, it's not up on the screen, you just have to listen to it. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, uh, John, the guy that's writing this, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. I love this so much. The, The one that Jesus loved outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Don't you just think that Peter would have been upset that he wasn't first? I would have been. Uh, Verse 5. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. I just want to pause. There, there is so much in this. Um, my trouble today was what to leave out. So I'm not even going to scratch the surface, all right? Jesus is alive. Yes and amen. We'll just scratch the surface. So uh, in verse 12, it says, two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. I don't know if that reminds you of anything, but if you think back to the Old Testament, back to the Old Covenant, back to when Moses and the Israelites were wandering in the desert, And they had the tabernacle of God and Moses, um, under the instructions from the Lord, uh, had the craftsmen make the Ark of the Covenant, which was a massive gold box with two cherubim facing inwards with their wings touching. All right. So that is where we have the Ark of the 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 Covenant pre-Jesus. And in there was stored uh, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Um, the almond uh, rod of Aaron um, and a jar of manna um, and over that watched these two cherubim kind of like they weren't 
physically alive, they were uh, covered in gold, two cherubim, wings touching, watching over um, this ark also um, in the inner court of the temple. And now these people walk into the tomb where Jesus had been laying and there's two angels, one at the head and one at the foot. Doing away, another step in doing away with the covenant that had been and stepping into the covenant that was because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? There's so many aspects where it's not just as amazing as it is, Jesus dying, defeating death and sin and raising, being raised from the dead through the Father because Jesus couldn't do it himself. It was the Father who raised him to life. There are so many other aspects, including those with the two angels at the head and the feet that do away with the old covenant and point us to the new covenant. Now, verse 13, they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. So she still thinks that Jesus is dead. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Man, like this is, can you feel the emotions of Mary encountering Jesus and she's not, she doesn't know that it's Jesus yet? Whew. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Listen, if you're listening to this story, listen to this. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I've not yet returned to the Father. And there's a whole thing about Jesus descending into the depths of hell um, to take away the authority from Satan that he'd been given in the Garden of Eden and he has not yet gone back to be with the Father yet. Um, so much happening here. This is what I want to pay, highlight. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Wait a minute, my brothers? You mean, you mean the people that betrayed him and all ran away when he was arrested and crucified? And here's Jesus who say, awesome, Mary, you showed up. You get the prize. It's you and me, sister. Let's get a few others and head away for a holiday. No, one of the first things that Jesus does, according to the Gospel of John, he says, go and get the ones that have betrayed me. I'm going to my father and their father. They are not removed from the kingdom and the family of heaven because they betrayed me. We somewhere, somehow believe the lie that because we do wrong by Jesus. Now listen, oh, oh, this is, I just feel like this is the point that needs to be made. I'm, uh, I'll get to my notes. We believe that we upset Jesus, we hurt Jesus, we betray Jesus, 
And therefore, we are not good enough. No, we are not good enough. It's his blood, his redemption, his resurrection that actually makes us good enough before the Father. But we think we have to earn our way back in. I'm making a generalization. I realize that. Make our way back, work our way back in to relationship with Jesus. And here is Jesus after he has risen from the dead. He hasn't connected with any of the disciples yet. The last time they, he saw the disciples, what were they doing? Running away. And here he is saying to Mary, go to my brothers, my brothers, and tell them I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Listen, this is some of what we cover in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and this is, what we, this is who we, I think we're working towards as a church community. This is who we need to be known as, known as, as the people of God. That You and I can disagree with each other. We may even hurt each other. But that will not actually fracture our relationship. We will stay in family. We will stay in connection because we are united under my Father and your Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And even more than that is that when, when we sin, oh, I feel like this is, oh, somebody, I don't know, maybe it's for me. I'm listening to me. Maybe it's for you. If this is for you, like take this on board, please. Don't believe the lie that you are not good enough to be redeemed by Jesus Christ himself. You're not that special. What makes you think that Jesus would come for the saving of the world but not you? Here he is actually reuniting everybody, including those who have betrayed him and left him to die alone. And saying, my father and your father. To my God and your God. Whew. Are you okay? So am I. Uh, verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. She would have been pumped. They still hadn't, have, had, hadn't had any chocolate or coffee. They just got Jesus. Oh. So I've, I've been excited all morning. People are like, calm down, man. No, this is Jesus. This is the saviour of the world. This is who we need. This is what we need. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, here's Jesus' brothers. They are locked for fear of the Jews. They're still in hiding from when they ran away from Jesus. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Thank you, Jesus, meek and mild. That's what I need is some peace. Love it. After he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. How could you not be? Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Obviously, they were really in a mess. But he told them twice, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now listen, verse 23. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Oh. Like, can, can you hear the power and the authority that Jesus is actually sharing with his brothers here? He's not taking them on like this journey of, um, well, you need to, uh, like repentance is super important. Like 
Repentance, absolutely. Turning away from our sins and saying, I am sorry, please forgive me, Lord. Super important. Not doing away with that. But there is no instance of that here. There's not Jesus saying, well, you need to do you know, some counselling. Uh, you need to work this through. You, I think you need to do another three years of ministry training and then come back to me and we'll see what you can do. We'll see what, if we can work together. Jesus is like, just working out forgiveness in the moment here and saying, here's the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you forgive, the person will be forgiven. If you don't, they won't be forgiven. What power, what authority. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. I don't know where he was. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be, peace be with you. Thank you, Jesus. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. You would freak out, wouldn't you? Like if you've got the door locked and somebody comes up and they know you're in there and you're not expecting it, but they knock on the door, you freak out. And here's Jesus shows up in a locked room. Like, I think sometimes we're kind of a bit pedestrian in our reading of the scripture. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. It's been a week since Jesus encountered the disciples. And so Thomas has been walking around going, no, no, need to see the guy before I'm actually going to believe. And then Jesus not only shows up so Thomas can meet him again after the resurrection, but does it in a locked room. It's just like Jesus, like, all right, I'll, I'll see you, your meeting in face to face and raise you a locked room. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you know that includes us? That includes us. I have this whole thing where I want to have, I've had a couple of uh, crazy encounters with Jesus, but I have this thing where I want to meet Jesus face to face. Like, not when I get to heaven. Yeah, absolutely. Please. But uh, like, while I'm alive, I would love to encounter Jesus. But here's Jesus saying, blessed are you who believe without seeing me. All right, thank you, Jesus. I'll, I'll hold on to that. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his, of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Believe in Jesus, that he's the Christ, and in believing, you will have life in in his name. Amen? Amen. Right, that's the introduction. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll, I won't speed up. I'll, I don't know what I'll do. Whew. Acts, it should just be the next page. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. We read this um, last week or the week before? Last week. Um, in my former book, Theophilus, oh, so the question we're asking today in our apologetic series, 
Um, and for those of you that uh, haven't been following along and might be new just today, apologetics isn't apologising for being a follower of Jesus. Apologetics is giving a defence for our faith. And not just to argue people down and make the other person look wrong, but to actually say with a healthy um, gentleness and respect uh, why we believe what we believe. So in our apologetics series, we're looking at did the resurrection happen? Now, the short answer to all these questions is yes. And then we just expand on that a little bit just to give us some meat on the bones, as it were. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So slight recap here is Luke. Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. They're kind of considered two parts of the one story. Luke is a very learned doctor uh, for his day, um, and he did a whole lot of investigating to find out if what he had heard about Jesus was true. So he got eyewitness testimonies, then writes it all down and sends it to his friend Theo and says, dude, here's the story on the life of times in Jesus and Acts, which is the birth of the early church. Verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men, as we just read about in John 20, and gave, and women, and gave them, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So it wasn't just the once, it wasn't just a couple of times that we read about in John or the Gospels. Many convincing proofs for the time between his resurrection and the time that he ascended to heaven. Jesus actually showed that he was physically alive. You'll actually see that uh, he meets the disciples on the beach and he eats. So he's not just a figment of their imagination. He's not just a ghost or an, appar- ghost or an apparition. He's uh, fully alive, fully man, fully divine, even to the point of needing to eat. Uh, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, that being the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here is a quote that we shared recently from Josephus. Um, He was not a follower of Jesus, but just to give you some extra context and show you that it wasn't just the followers of Jesus who held on to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, but it was those who were watching on from the community around the Christians as well. And Josephus, uh, one of the most excellent historians from that period of time, said, we wrote, we learn that Jesus was a wise man who did surprising feats taught many, won over many followers from among Jews and Greeks, was believed to be the Messiah, was accused by the Jewish leaders, was condemned to be crucified by Pilate, and was considered to be resurrected. So here's Josephus, outside of the followers of the way, as it was called um, in the early days of the early church, pointing to the fact that, yes, the believers hold on to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. Yeah, okay. Uh, one, just turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes to the church. Paul helped uh, plant the early church at Corinth. Paul, who was Saul, had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus, the Lord, spoke to uh, Saul. And sometime later, he became 
Paul. Paul goes on a few years later to plant the early church. We're about 20 years after Jesus has walked the earth. Um, And so they are established in the city of Corinth. And then Paul writes a couple of letters, probably more than what we have, but at least the two that we have in Scripture. And I want to read through that in a minute. As Christians, one of the reasons that we wanted to do the apologetic series was to um, for all of us to engage in this process of understanding why we believe what we believe and to ensure that we've got a firm foundation that we can build on as we seek to establish ourselves as followers of Jesus and grow close, closer in our relationship with him and then share that with the world around us. Okay, um, We know and believe that uh, the Holy Spirit is on the, on the Word, on the Bible, and that as people engage with that, that they will encounter the Holy Spirit. And, but we need to be um, wise um, and discerning with gentleness and respect, as we highlighted last week, in terms of how we actually engage the world around us in terms of why we believe what we believe. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but I didn't always want to be a church pastor um, that was kind of a work that God did to me over many years. You might be wondering where this is going. I'll, I'll, it will make sense in a minute. Back when I was a little kid, a very long time ago, um, I wanted to be a police officer. I just thought that was the best job ever. One of the reasons, this is, this is not good though, one of the reasons I wanted to be a police officer, don't hold this against me, was I found out they got McDonald's half price. Man, I don't even have McDonald's that much nowadays, so that would be just a terrible waste. Uh, That is not a strong reason to want to do anything. So that was about eight. I think it was about eight. I don't know why these numbers stick in my head. I was about eight when I was like, oh, I should be a cop. I get half-priced food. Like, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? And carry a gun. What could be better? Carry a gun, half-priced food. That's that's a terrible mix, especially McDonald's. Glory. and then I was about 16 years old, and I was talking to a police officer, a guy at our church that we were a part of, and talking to him about being a police officer and the pros and cons of it. And I'd never really kind of thought more beyond be a cop, be cool, carry a gun, wear a uniform, eat McDonald's all the time. For eight years of my life, talking to this guy, and he says, oh, heaps of paperwork. Now, you might love paperwork, but as a teenage boy, I did not. In a moment, I was like, forget that. That's, that's terrible, isn't it? Like, no sticking ability whatsoever. It's like, no, more pa- paperwork trumps cheap takeaway. So I was like, scratch it. I don't want to be a cop anymore. And I just went on to choose a whole bunch of other things that I never got to do anyway. If we establish ourselves on a flimsy foundation, it will topple at the slightest breeze. This is why we need to be sure of our faith and why we believe what we believe. And Paul writes to the church, this new church, this emerging community, and and they've got all these warped ideas. Like, remember, these are people that have, um, uh, they follow, they're polytheistic. They have multiple gods. They have you know, a god for the table, a god for wood, a god for water, a god for the weather, whatever it might be. And so Paul writes to them, and we've talked about this before, that Paul writes and says, no, there's one God, there's one spirit, and that's 
through who you have life. And they have lots of different ideas about what it is to be a church. And so Paul continues to communicate with them to help encourage them in the ways of following Jesus. And it gets to this point. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I, don't, I haven't got the verse, few verses up there, but I want to highlight this. I'm going to start at verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Again, there's that firm foundation. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For, uh, verse 3. Thanks, Thomas. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And then he goes on. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So the early church held on to the idea that you weren't dead, you were asleep, because Jesus was going to come back any time, and those that were followers of Jesus would be brought back to life um, and be triumphant with Jesus. So they weren't dead. They didn't consider them dead. They were just asleep. And you see that through the life and ministry of Jesus as well. And then he appeared to James. That's Jesus' own brother. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So this is Paul has that encounter on the Damascus road. And Paul's saying, hey, I was the last one to have this encounter with him. And now here we are. For I'm the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. So here's Paul in summary. Here's Paul saying, we have preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to you. And that was on what you established your faith. Now, at some point, you sitting here, if you are a follower of Jesus, at some point, you have most likely, hopefully, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was what Paul just said was that Jesus was alive. He was crucified. He was put to death in place of you and me. And he was raised from the dead by his heavenly father. And that is the truth that we hold on to. And Paul writes to the church of Corinth and says, that's the truth that we hold on to. If you are believing anything else, it's a lie. It wasn't just that there is life after death, it's that we have life itself because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what you believed on, don't swerve from the truth. Stay true to the truth that we have confessed to you. <clears throat> One of the reasons that I hold on to the fact that um, the resurrection actually happened was because of the testimonies that we have by so many people. I mean, James, his own brother, who once upon a time did not believe that he was the Messiah, now believes in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here is Paul. Why would you turn from... Paul was, when he was Saul, he was one of the most successful persecutors of the church. This guy was um, a hardcore Jew through and through. He knew the law. He knew the Torah. He was doing the right thing by the synagogue leaders of the day. 
Why else would he turn from having such, such a successful life if not for the resurrected Christ and his encounter with him? Verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So that's the argument. That's the heresy that they're letting into the early church that Paul is dealing with here. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Now this is one of the clear examples where the letter was written to a community, the community of Corinth, and for a community, the community of Horsham. Because it is still true today. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. We are the fulfilment of the prophecies that went before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We sit here today because of the resurrection. I'm not sure if you've, if you've ever thought about that. If, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we are wasting our time right now. This is just an awesome community club, like a lot of others, with no life. It is, it is not the birth that gives us life of Jesus. It is not the death of Jesus Christ that gives us life. It is his resurrection. And the power that God poured out in him is the same power that flows through you and me today. That is why we do this. Otherwise, we're just, this is, we can pack up and go home for hot cross buns. Which we wouldn't have if it wasn't for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. More than that, we are then, verse 15, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Do you ever read Paul and go, surely you could have said this more succinctly, mate. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than everybody else. If Christ isn't resurrected, we're done. We do this because he is resurrected. And Paul highlights, if Christ isn't resurrected, then we're making God out to be a liar because God told us that he was the one that raised Jesus from the dead. And we're not going to do that. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, that is through Adam, when he sinned in the Garden of Eden, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man who is Jesus. Jesus isn't the second Adam, he's the last Adam. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. We'll get to a point where Jesus does away with all other dominion, power and authority, including death in itself, and there will only be life eternal with our Father in heaven for those who believe. Uh, verse 29. Now, if there is no resurrection, 
what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I love this bit. It's like Paul's just driving home the point. He's like, if Christ isn't resurrected, I am risking my life and limbs to actually preach the good news of Jesus Christ. If he hasn't actually ascended from death into new life, why am I doing this? I'll go back to tent making. I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, uh, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. So just to highlight, Paul is writing to a community that he cares about and loves dearly because he helped start them. So he is like a father to them. And lies are creeping into this community about uh, who Jesus is and did he actually raise from the dead? And actually, is there still multiple gods or is it just the one God? How are we actually meant to live this out? And I feel like this, this feels... Uh, more and more um, pertinent for us as the church today. That there are more and more lies coming in, more and more that want to come in about what it is to be a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to be a son or daughter of God, and we actually need to hold to the truth that we first profess and confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord of all, in all, through all. And get back to his word, get back to the truth that we have about who he is and what he is like so that we won't allow the lies that the world wants to feed us about what it looks like. Because it's so easy to believe the lies. Some of them sound okay. Like people will teach you that Jesus was, people will say people was just a man or he was a good teacher or son of God, it's so close to the truth. Kind of remind you of anybody, how anybody else has operated? That we actually need to hold true to the truth that we confess, which is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why we're having baptisms in a couple of weeks. It's not just a symbolic gesture where you go through the massive stainless steel bathtub and you come out all nice and clean and feeling good about it. No, you are dead. You are brought to life as a new creation just as Jesus was, because, of he was, because he was raised to life by his heavenly Father. And you're filled with his spirit, which actually empowers you and gives you the authority to do what Jesus did in signs and wonders, healings and miracles, but most of all, to preach the gospel that he has left for us to preach. Amen? Did the resurrection happen? Oh, you sound a little less sure than when we started. I'm not sure that uh, I feel like I've missed the mark. Did the resurrection happen? Yes. I love the spontaneity. <laughs> Let's stand together. You okay? Yep. Better than okay. Man, I didn't get through half my notes. People are like, oh, thank you. The Lord. Some people be like, I liked it when he just sat there and didn't say anything. Can we go back to that?
One of my own children, just to order, like, if you don't know, uh, you need to go back and watch YouTube. It's scintillating viewing. Um, one of my own children, bless them, said, Dad, can you not do that again? I was like, I'll try. I am trying to do what Jesus shows me to do, and that is preach the good news of the kingdom. So that's where you are. Just close your eyes. Uh, and that's not to weird you out. That's just so you're not distracted by the things and the people around you. I just want us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, the resurrected King. Jesus, the Saviour of the world. Jesus, would you come into the locked rooms of our hearts, the locked rooms of our lives, and speak peace over us? Yeah, just in this moment, just for the troubled hearts, the troubled minds, the troubled spirits, right here, right now, just speak peace. Peace be with you. The peace of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. And if you're standing here today and you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed as we've been doing for the last 30, 35 minutes and you don't have the relationship with Jesus, you haven't said, yes, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to receive the life that can come because of his resurrection, because Jesus defeated death once and for all. If there's a stirring in your spirit that says, I want to commit my life to following Jesus for the rest of my days, just where we are in the quiet and stillness. You just want to raise your hand, not to freak you out, not to single you out, but just want to celebrate and acknowledge that. Jesus, all we desire is to know you more and to draw close to you. We seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing and believing that everything else will be added unto us. Help us and strengthen us to declare the good news of your death and your resurrection, that the world might know Christ is alive.